What's up, everybody? This is Mind Your Money with Miss Be Helpful, a show that highlights people and stories that will inspire you to get your money right. And today on the show, I'm really excited because I've been doing this thing where I just like follow all these people on Instagram that are posting financial content. So Cassandra is one of those people where I was just like, I'm going to follow her because I like what she's posting so far. And then I was like, okay, I love her. I love the reels. I love the content. And so I just invited her to come on the show and I'm so glad she could make it. I'm, I'm so excited for this conversation. So welcome officially. Welcome to the show, Cassandra. Yes. Thank you, Yanelli. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm just so excited about this conversation. Girl, so honestly, just one of the most recent reels that you posted on Instagram, like we're going to get all into it, your content, why you post it, what you like, what got you into it. But, um, you know, of course, I could just dive right in. We will talk about it. But I just wanted to start with like a quick introduction from you folks who know you might know you as a financial blogger. And but I know like I know you from Instagram. So just wanted to kind of give you the chance to introduce yourself. What how did you get into financial blogging and posting content on Instagram and a little bit about your backstory? Um, so I, I think I talk in bits and pieces about my story on Instagram, but I really haven't gone into, um, a little bit more detail as to how that even came about. Um, so it really started organically and more so out of necessity. Um, so when I first graduated college, I was like, going to get my first job. I was so excited. I was like done with college. I'm like, finally going to not be broke anymore. I'm going to be making money. Right. (laughs) And then I got my first and then second job. And I was like, wait a minute, how am I still broke though? Like I I was making $48,000 a year. And for reference, I lived at the time in LA, which is very high cost of living. And so like the average median home price in that area is $800,000. So the amount of time it was going to take for any of us in LA to get a down payment on a home, I was like, wait a minute, we're going to be broke for a really long time if we keep working like this. And so I was working um, in corporate retail at the time, full time, and we were working like 10, 12 hours a day on salary on salary. And there was a point in time where my boss was like, I think I'm going to have you guys come in on Sunday. That would be six days a week. And um, just for a period of time. And I was like, guys, 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 how are we okay with this? Because when you break down the hourly rate of what we're making, if we were not on salary, that's about 15, $16 an hour. So that's what I was getting paid as an intern. And I'm like, how are we all okay with this abuse? Like I'm confused. And so I would look to my, um, the people who I wanted to eventually be in their positions five years from now, you know, when you think about what do you want to do five years from now? I'm like, okay, I wanted to be in this position. I'd get promoted a couple of times. And I looked at that average salary and it was about 75,000 to about 80. And again, in, in California for high cost of living, I was like, wait a minute, these people are working just like me, if not harder. We all live at the office. We, we eat, we drink, we sleep at the office on our, I was sleeping in my car on my lunch because I was so exhausted. And so mm. I was like, guys, I cannot do this for another five years. Like I cannot, right. I, I just right. don't know how you guys are going to be able to do it, but I, I cannot. It was a, it was a real toxic work environment for me and I was losing my sanity. So I was like, I need to figure out a way to get out of here. So I wanted to quit. And so at the time I was just Googling online, trying to see how am I going to make money um, so I can find my next job. And then I found um, Michelle Schroeder, who is an amazing finance blogger, um, who has majorly inspired me to Mm -hmm. become a personal finance blogger. I thought, wow, this girl 
is just an everyday girl, just like me. And if she can do it, I can do it. So I'm like, if I, I'm, I was good at writing, I worked, I wrote for my college magazine and a couple media outlets in college. And I was just getting into personal finance at the time. So I was like, perfect. If I can do this, if I can work 12 hours for somebody else, I can absolutely work um, 12 hours for myself. And if I'm any good at it, I might never have to work for anyone again. And so that part, yes, yes. yes. And so that it, uh, Brianna budget really came out of necessity. But what I, I noticed about the blogging world was there was this lack of personal connection. And I know for Mm -hmm. myself, I can't take advice from anyone. If I don't trust you, if I don't know who you are. Um, and so I was like, all right, let me make an Instagram and create the Brianna budget platform to what it is now. So people can get an opportunity to know me. I I absolutely love that. I love everything that you're talking about where you're just like, I'm going to side hustle my way to making this full time. And that is like so inspirational. I feel like right now we're like in this age of the side hustle, but with respect to saying, Hey, maybe it starts as a side hustle. But if you work, if you really work at it and you love it, you were willing to pour yourself into it, it can definitely become full time. So I, I absolutely love that. I respect that hustle. I can't wait to start actually following the blog because I, for me, I was always just like looking at you on Instagram and now I got to go read the blog. Now we have a little bit of backstory about you. How do you get into blogging and content creation? I would love to hear a little bit about um, your money regrets because I usually start with that like okay let's jump into the dirty the stuff people don't want to talk about the dirty secrets the skeleton in the closet so if you could tell us what is maybe like the most expensive purchase or the most um maybe expensive experience like the thing that where you spent so much money and now thinking back on it you're like oh my goodness I wish I could take that back get that money back and like not just straight up not make that mistake what what would that be for you All right. So the one thing that I just talked about, right, is that lack of transparency and that personal connection um, as a blogger. So I'm going to get right into it. A lot of people do not know this about me. Um, I lost my mom at 17 to a car accident, unfortunately. Uh, Rest Mm -hmm. in peace, mom. Um, But I um, because of that, I was left an inheritance and it was it wasn't a sizable one. I mean, it was a good chunk of money. Um, but I was 17 at the time and I did not know anything about money. I didn't even have a credit card. Um, Mm. and to be honest, most of that money went to, um, a private college. I went to the fashion Institute of design and merchandising. That was like 23 grand a year. And it was just a bunch of little, little things like buying a bunch of clothes because I was at a fashion school and I wanted to make sure that I was like, dressed on point because like represent, I go to a fashion school, you know, and, um, what I wish I would have done instead of blowing all my coins on forever 21 for like 10 years is invested in a property, at least a chunk of it, you know, like buy a little condo, buy a little complex. And my, and that was something that my, my parents had kind of mentioned to me, but didn't really push me about. They were like, you need to do something with that money, but they did, it didn't really follow up on it, but I was young. And so if I had just invested, did an IRA, bought a little property, I would have been set right now. But let me tell you, all that money is gone. All that money is gone. And you know, what's crazy is that like, it's so easy for you to think back and say like, if only I had done this, if only I had done that. But the reality is we can't even blame ourselves. Somebody threw a bunch of money in your lap when you were 17. And I'm so sorry to hear about losing your mom that like that alone is so hard. And now you have to figure out what to do with this pile of money without a lot of guidance, 
they don't teach us about money in school. So, you know, it's not like the money came with a document that said, step one, put put 5,000 in savings account. Step two, put the, you know, break the rest into 50% savings and 50% investment. Okay. Step three, make sure you put in a Roth IRA, IRA first. Step four, then, you know, like nobody, they don't do that. And so it's so, it's so frustrating to think like, we, we don't get this roadmap. We don't get the guidance. And yet, oftentimes, young people, if it's not an inheritance, listen, for me, it was credit cards. It was like one day to the next, I had $1,000, $3,000, no guidance about how to use that money. And so we end up really, you know, end, ending up with a lot of financial regrets. But in your case, I feel like, girl, that's not your fault. <laughs> you know, like, it's not on you. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, it's true. And we, were, we don't know, what, we cannot help ourselves if we do not know about it, you know, right. so... You can't, you can't really blame yourself. But when you know better, you do better, right? So That's right. As soon as you know better, that's all you can do is do better. It's so funny. I was looking at this. Um, I forgot what it was. It was a survey where they surveyed a bunch of, of people about their financial literacy knowledge. And the funny thing is the women who were surveyed, the, the results showed that they specifically said that they felt less confident about making money choices and money decisions and their knowledge about financial literacy. And because they didn't feel confident, they actually don't make certain money moves because they're like, oh, I don't feel confident. And the men who were surveyed were like, listen, you're not going to know everything. You ju just move, just make moves, whether you know something or you don't. And so it's so interesting, the different approach that especially as young women that we take when we don't feel like we don't know, we don't make, we don't take action. We don't make moves. And, uh, you know, unfortunately it means that you know, we're just not progressing. We're not investing as much. We, we don't save as much. And so it just, it's really sad. And it's funny that you mentioned that specifically, like you don't know what you don't know, but once you know better, you better believe you better be doing better. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I agree with that a hundred percent. All right, girl. What about on the flip side? So you talked about a regret, like, oh man, I wish I would have done something different with that money. But what about a time where you made a purchase or you, you spent money on experience and it was so worthwhile for you? Maybe other people might look at you and go, oh, you crazy, Cassandra. Like, I would never spend that much in that way. But for you, like, I would, I would do it again. It was so worth it. And it was one of my most uh, proud, I guess, money moments. Yeah, um, I, I guess I would say I don't have a big one. Um, and I think that because I was, I was in college for a very long time. I was in college till I was 20. Seven. Um, so I've been living as a broke college student from 18 to 27. So I don't have a lot of big like, and I'm 31 now for reference. It hasn't been that long since I graduated. So honestly, it's kind of more of a smaller um, everyday purchase that um, people might turn their nose up about. And um, I don't care. I wear, my, I will wave my flag to the day I, I will die on that hill. Um, I am big on um, convenience and food delivery, and not just because. As a side hustle, I work for DoorDash, but I am a customer and I have been a customer for a very long time. When you, at the time I was living in LA, so it's just kind of, it comes with the territory. You don't want to be in traffic. You don't want to be driving out, inconveniencing yourself, dealing with parking, dealing with valet. So I really got into the habit of like, I, I'm working 12 hours a day. You think I have time to make dinner. So I would get a lot of food delivery and I still do that now. I have a budget of $75 a month to just for like when I'm lazy to just Love order food it. and that is okay. And mm -hmm. um, I honestly, I really am a woman of convenience. So yeah, that's my biggest thing that I'm most proud of. I'm like, I'm gonna be ordering food for the rest of my life, at least, you know, once a, once a week or so. Yeah. Just allow yeah, yourself. Yeah to yes. um to experience that yes i was about to say that i was about to say within reason and then eventually if you get to the point where you're balling out of control 
get yourself a private chef so you don't have to cook. Do you, boo? Like, go ahead and upgrade your life. But I think it's so it's so smart, your approach to saying, look, I know what I like to prioritize. And convenience, for me, is so important. It changes my experience completely. It, it, it totally contributes to my, my, my wellness in general, like my mental health, my like physical, like literally just it, it organizes me so much better when I don't have to set the time to cook and do all that kind of stuff. So knowing that convenience when it comes to food is important, not just saying, okay, so that means I'm going to just get food every day. That would like that would be going all the way to the wrong extreme. But in your in your mind, you're like, okay, because I know convenience is so important, I'm gonna set aside seventy five dollars a month for my budget to give myself a little leeway. That's like to me, that's the brilliant part of it because I feel like when I was in my early twenties, girl, I was a mess. I was I, if I if I thought to myself convenience is important, then that means everything can be convenient and I can spend more on convenience without really you know giving myself a reasonable budget but everything within reason in your budget you can definitely make the time make the space you know find the money for it but every again like within reason i think it's such a huge a uh, huge piece and right now you start at 75 but watch you increase that budget to 150 soon then 300 next thing you know you're going to be you know private chef so i think it's when you know that that's a value that you have you can make room in your life to be like all right i got to get to a point where convenience for food is something that i don't even have to worry about Yes, yes. It's all about prioritization. And I think it, you have to take the time to really think what is important to you. Because for, for some people, yeah. it's travel. For some people, yeah. it's just living their life slowly, simply, you know, mm -hmm. in their backyard, beautifully, gardening, whatever it is. Everything is important yeah. to someone else. And that's why personal finance is so personal. Um, <laughs> you know, so people need to be able to just look inside to see yeah. what it is that's important to me, not pay attention to what's important to anyone else. So, yeah, that's so true. And, but I think the hard part about that is I wasn't really able to do that until I was like 30 and like, you know, I'm 31, just like you, but I feel like I just now got to a point where I know myself. Like I know me, I know me better than anybody. I know what I like, what I don't like. I know what I'm willing to put up with, what I'm not willing to put up with. I know, you know, what makes me tired, what gives me energy. Like I can feel like, you know, myself so much better but when I was in my early 20s and especially in my teens, like, girl, no, I would not know. I, you know, I would just go with the flow. I was the type of girl be like, oh, my friends want to do this. All right, I'm going to do that because they want to do it. Oh, my boyfriend wants to see that movie. I don't really know if I want to see that movie, but he wants to see it. So I want to see it. Like, and I just kind of went like I was swayed by, you know, the, the, the motion of the ocean, wherever direction the wind went, that's where I was going. And, but I feel like it's so important. Like when you get to a point in your life where you do know yourself, the faster you can get there. Some young people, like some teenagers, they're like that. They know themselves. They have that level of maybe it's like maturity or it's just self-awareness. But whenever, whatever that is, if you can get that early in your life, you are going to set yourself up with your money so much better and soon and like faster than a lot of other people because they're still trying to figure out what it is that they value. What is it that they love? And if you already know, you get a head start. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I agree with that. 100%. It, just, it takes time. It just takes time to figure it out, you know, but it's so worth it, you know, when you do. Definitely. Definitely. It's so worth it. All right, girl. So I'm, I'm curious because now you told me you're in the Bay now. Um, and so I know a little bit about, you, you know, growing up. I know you, you lost your mom early and that led to an inheritance. But let's rewind a little bit earlier than that. Tell us a little about your upbringing. Like, what was it like growing up as a kid? Did you did you talk about money? Was uh, Were there conversations around finances, um, you know, budgeting, like cat, allowance? Like, what were, what were some of your early money memories and lessons around money that you remember? So I have... Um a bit, a little bit of a two 
kind of polar views on money where my mom, super spender. I learned everything I know about spending money. I know how to spend money real good um, by my mom. She was the type of mom who wanted to give me everything that I, I could have because she, um, she grew up in the Philippines and she came to the United States when she was about nine. And you just want to give your kids way better than you've ever had. But she also didn't make a lot of money. But with her money that she could make, she bought me everything that I could, um, that she could. But a lot of times I'd be like, mom, every episode on Nickelodeon, I'd be like, mom, I want that toy. Mom, I want that toy. Mom, I want that toy. And she would say to me, she's, um, she's Filipino. So she would say, well, I'm fed sweetie, but if I had it, you better believe I would have bought it for you. And I'm like, okay, thanks mom. And then my dad, (laughs) on the other hand, was a hard worker. Uh, He worked two jobs for the majority of my growing up. And he, whenever I would ask him for money, his answer was, do you think money grows on trees? If you want to go to the movies, you better get a job. I'm like, daddy, I'm 13. He's like, you got two years, you got two years and then you work in. And if you want to go to the movies, you better get that job. So I learned very quickly (laughs) and I was living with my dad. So, um, I knew how to spend money for my mom, but then I got this work ethic from my dad. But the, mm-hmm. the message that I got was we work for our money by the hour. Mm-hmm. You want to get more money, you work more hours. I you have one job. That's not enough. You need two jobs. You need to work more. And so that's the message that I got, um, you know, from, from my dad. And so combined together, there wasn't a lot of talk about money. They were, we're still, my parents are still living paycheck to paycheck. I just discovered this like last year. Um, and I think that's important to share that, like, you, you can go your whole life and still not figure it out. So that's kind of the, the combination of the money stories that I've been taught as a kid is you can spend your money, but you got to go get it first. Yes. Oh, I love that. And it's, it's such a, uh, the, sto- the story is such a, uh, a common story for children of immigrants, right? Like every time I hear somebody who tells me that they have parents who immigrated here and those early money lessons, like there's such a mix of like, we can ball out of control. If we have the money, we can spend it. We get what we want. And at the same time, penny pinching and being like, excuse me. No, you cannot get that. We can't afford that. And you just get so confused by these mixed messages, you know? Um, it's just, it's such a common narrative in, in specifically in families that, you know, have, have a a certain generation of maybe first or second generation immigrants, because it's, it's just like, it's that mix. They're trying to navigate like, Hey, we made it. We're a little bit better off than some of our family back in our home country. But at the same time, we poor here. So we still got to be careful. Right. So it's like this, this constant looking back at your home country, but then also looking ahead at what's, what the opportunities are here and finding out that like how to balance your position in that threshold between those two spaces is it's really it's really hard and then it ends up giving complicated mixed messages to the kids growing up in that environment right 100% i'm yes. i'm one of those many many examples of those mixed messages yeah. yeah it's so interesting so you said that your dad was the one that was like hustling 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 what was what was your dad's line of work So my dad worked um, as a chef at the time for many hotels. He was in the hotel business for Mm -hmm. a very long time. And then he worked his way up to management. Um, But then when um, I want to say it was 2000, 2001, when the Twin Towers came down, the hotel business just like tanked. And so he Mm -hmm. kind of showed me how to pivot. Like when things happen, like you got to be ready, you got to be ready to change, um, you know, career positioning. And so he went into working for hospitals doing the same thing, but with just more 
stable job. So yeah, then he moved to hospitals and he's pretty much stayed there ever since. He got back into the hotel world just recently, but with the pandemic, he's like, got to shift again. So yeah, he right. went back to being like in that hospital sector. So yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Your dad is like the original pivoter before pandemic was a thing. He was, he was pivoting, you know, and that's, that's, I feel like that is a skill that like, I, I honestly never even realized that you needed to be able to pivot your work in any given moment, like the pandemic hit. And that was for me, like an eye opener, like, oh my goodness, I'm so glad that a lot of my work can be done virtually. But if the skill set that I had and the work that I did depended on being live in person, who I would be, I would be really, um, you know, I'd be, I'd be devastated. And so I think it's really important to like put that into perspective, like for somebody to be pivoting before pivoting was a thing. Like that's, that's amazing. My, my dad actually was also a chef. So my dad used to cook, um, at a really? restaurant. He worked. Yeah. He was a chef at an Italian restaurant. He started off like making salads, washing dishes, you know, sweeping up in the back. And then they were like, Hey, you, you know, you look like, you know, how to cook a thing or two, come over here and start making some desserts and salads and some dishes and learning. So he started cooking and learning, you know, and he little by little, he picked up some Italian. He started speaking a little Italian with the chefs and everything. Um, and then, you know, after like 15, 20 years, he's been, he's been there at that restaurant. He, he kind of worked his way up to being one of the head chefs. And, um, you know, again, all the while, like learning on the job, which is just crazy to think. But he worked a lot of crazy hours, like, you know, at a restaurant, you usually work till two in the morning till the restaurant closes. Uh, and then there was a really bad fire and the restaurant just like shut down. They never opened back up. He completely lost his job. And kind of like your dad, he had to figure out like I, he had a pivot. So he was like, I know I don't want to work for anybody else. Like, I've already been the top chef. I've always been the person that, like, tells people what to do. I like that. And he also also wanted to make his schedule, you know, his own schedule. So he didn't want to have to work late. So he decided to just start driving a taxi. And he was a taxi driver for the past, like, oh, my goodness. Ever since I was in high school, he's been driving a taxi. And he just retired in 2020. He literally just retired because... And he's 70. He, he's 70. He should have been retired a, lo- a while ago. But, you know, when you don't have when you don't have money, you can't stop working. <laughs> like your dad said, you want money, you work. <laughs> oh, gosh, I love learning about your background. So I would love to know a little bit about your life now. Like, it's so interesting how you came from that space. You kind of crafted your own uh, a space in, on your own blog to tell your story. But what, what is like your day, you know, day-to-day life now? We're in COVID. People are still kind of quarantining. Like, what is your, your day-to-day life like? Yeah, so um, my day-to-day life changes. It changes a lot, like as we, as we mentioned. Previously, pre-COVID, I was juggling multiple side hustles. I was working as a personal assistant, freelance personal assistant, and event staffer and working for DoorDash. And I would just try to find what's the best way to use my time efficiently to work the least amount of hours and make the most amount of money within these three given platforms Yes, on a week to week basis, which changes, right? Because of demand. And so after COVID happened, I had to cut off really two of those and keep just the DoorDash because you can't assist people from home. Um, same thing, events are not happening. And so- Right, no events, right. All the events just stopped. Oof. They just stopped, and, you know, and I'm so lucky that um, I had DoorDash and DoorDash really picked up in demand because of the pandemic, right? People are not able to eat out. So they're right. relying on DoorDash. And that is a way that 
um, I have been able to make my money. And last year, I actually focused a lot on building my personal brand on Instagram. So I took a break from the blog. And so now that I'm like kind of getting that traction and feeling like, okay, I know how to work Instagram now, I can kind of take my foot off of it a little bit. And now I can focus 100% on the blog. So that's what I'm doing this year is putting in full time hours towards growing that blog. So I'm just treating that as my baby as my business. And then I just work for DoorDash, just enough to pay my bills. And every month I'm looking like, how can I work a little bit less, a little bit less, a little, how can I just really keep everything to an absolute minimum for, you know, my expenses so that I can put all my work into, into the blog. And so that's what my week to week um, basis is looking like is, is educating myself and teaching myself, reading a ton of books and just repeat, repeat, repeat rinse and repeat. Your hustle is definitely, it comes across in, in everything that, you, that you're describing that you do. But I, and I think that it's always interesting to me when I hear people say, so I started to really focus on, you know, posting content about money because I'm like, wait, hold on. You know, because, and, and I did too. Like I started posting videos on YouTube a few years ago and then I've, I've just always talked about money and, and personal finance education. But it's always, I'm always curious to know from other people because when you talk about money, it's such a personal thing. It's such a taboo thing. You know, people get uncomfortable. You know, you never know how much money is too much or not enough. And, you know, you don't know how much others are making and what other people's financial values are. They could be totally different from yours. So getting to a point where you're like, I mean, I know you mentioned that you were inspired by Michelle and her blogging, but getting yourself to the point where you're like, I'm going to start talking about something that is very awkward and uncomfortable for people, that is very taboo, nobody likes to talk about it, and it's also like there's a lot of shame attached to it, and it's controversial, I'm going to do it. Like, what, what motivated you to really take on a subject like money and personal finance and also be so personal where you're telling people straight up, look, I'm, I'm out here doing DoorDash, this is how many hours, this is how much money, to be so raw and, and, and real with, like, sharing that experience? Like, you know, how, how did you kind of come to that decision to be like, yep, I'm going to do it, I'm going to put it all out there? You know, um, I, I think that it really didn't take a lot of opposition and I almost wish this answer was more interesting just because I, I, it's like all of that stuff that you're saying is true. It's definitely taboo. It is definitely a lot of shame around it. Nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody knows about it. Hell, I barely knew about it. When I said I was interested in personal finance, when I started beyond budget, I really mean I was interested. Like my budget was real, like scrappy, like 50, 30, 20 budget. And that's what I was doing for a year. I didn't know any better. I didn't know anything about investing. I didn't know anything about financial independence. I don't know anything that I knew now when I started beyond budget. So I was like, I have to teach myself because no one else is going to teach me this. And if I'm going to teach myself, like, why do I have to teach myself? I have to teach myself because they're not teaching it. They're not teaching it in, in school. They're not teaching it in education. We're not going to be able to ever count on that because the, the, the people who decide um, the education system are they, if they, if they wanted to teach us about personal finance, they would have done it. So we have to really take matters into our own hands. And so if I'm going to do it for me, why wouldn't I do it for other people? Why wouldn't I do it for other people? Like we, we're never going to get this information. And I think for me, it's a, it's a huge core value is this, um, I love everything to be fair and it's very tough, um, in this world because there's so many inequities. No matter where you look, it could be gender, it could be race, um, you know, in the in just in your career. And so that's really where that comes from. Of is like, how how am I going to get this information out? Like, I can't be the only one that's struggling with this. We're all struggling with this. So let me 
try to help myself. And every time I help myself, I help you. And that's how, that's how I'm going to win. And that's how you're going to win. And that's how we're all going to win. So it's almost like it, to me, it's like an obligation. Mm. I don't know. Mm. I love that. I love that. And I can tell you feel that way because your question, my question was, why would you teach everybody else and not just, you know, learn it for yourself? And your question response to my question was, why wouldn't I teach everybody else? So I'm like, dang, okay. I kind of love that. You know, it's like, well, well, what do you mean? Like, I don't, I don't think I have really much of a choice, but to say, Hey, we all need to be learning this. If it's not being taught to us in schools, if most of us are not getting it at home because our parents never learned it, how are they going to teach us something they don't know? You know, at this point, we have to start teaching it to each other. So, I'm, I mean, I, I love that you empowered yourself to empower other people to say, yo, we all need to be learning this. Uh, and, and one of the things it, it reminds me of, I wanted to bring it up earlier, but I held it for later. You're, you're one of your most recent reels, which I freaking loved. There's so much bad money advice out there. And, oh, man, I don't remember the specific things you listed, but like MLMs and like um, just, you know, like the, the things that we it's like there's so many um, I don't want to say like scams, but cause I, I do, I do consider MLMs to be scams. I do think that they're, they're scammy, but I think the word I'm looking for is more so like, like they're fake, like they're fakers. Like it's like, it looks, it looks like it might be legit, but it's not like, like people trying to push certain insurance products that actually help you to invest in the stock market. I'm like, wait, hold on. Insurance should be protecting your money. Investments should be investing in the stock market. Those should be totally separate. But mind you, we keep getting these pitches from these insurance people claiming that when, when insurance products, you invest in the stock market, mm, keep your insurance and your investments separate. Right. But we hear these pitches that sound kind of they sound kind of good. Like, wait, maybe, maybe they have a good point here. Like, you know, or they, they, they confuse us and it sounds like it's legit, but we know it's these, like, I, I don't know what else to say, but call them fakers. It's kind of like, you know, MLMs, like MLMs and pyramid schemes. Like there's so many of those where you, you hear them throwing their pitch out there and you're like, dang, this person is a hustler. This person got some good energy. Like you almost, you're like, there's such good salespeople. They're charismatic. Yes. Yes. The charisma and the way they build trust. Um, and then the one, one of the ones that you also posted that for me was like, yes, was the credit card one where so many people believe that you have to carry a balance on your credit card. I, I cut that one out early in my YouTube channel. I'm like, you guys, no, you don't need to do this. It's just such a myth. And, but it's so interesting because so many of these are, continue to be perpetuated in the personal finance space and beyond the personal finance space. People telling their friends and their, their boyfriend, their cousins. And it's like, then it spreads like wildfire. Mind you, it's terrible financial advice. You know, you know what it is? It's so close. It, it preys on our desire, our fears and yeah. our desires at the same time, right? You're like, I'm broke in some way, shape or form, right? There's several levels of broke, right? You could be making a right. high amount of income, still be broke. Make a small <laughs> amount of income, still be broke. It doesn't matter. It's how you yeah. manage your money. It's your whole financial picture, right? And so a lot of it is this like sensationalism, this like hype up, you know, like I see so many of these headlines just because they, these people need readers, you know, the, the news outlets, they need readers. So they're like, if you invested in Google, like $10,000 in 1994, this is how much money you'd have now. And then you're like, what? I could have been a millionaire if I just put like my whole entire savings when I was 27 into Google, I would have been out. Right. And you hear so many of that, but it's in hindsight. Like that's not how you actually exactly. invest in the stock market. It's just to get you to click on it because honestly, a lot of what the true finance, the fundamentals of finance, it's 
pretty boring. And that's why I try to make it exciting. And that's why I try to make it engaging so I can get you to be like, all right, let me just listen to what this girl has to say. You know, maybe I make a couple jokes and you're kind of like, oh, okay, she's funny. What is she talking about now? So I can really give you the game. So I can really give you that education because that's what a lot of these news headlines that are popping up and, and just kind of perpetuating this myth that if you just bet all your money like the lottery Mm -hmm. on one hot stock, that is the way that's how you're going to retire early. That's how you're going to, you're going to bankroll, you know, your, your parents' retirement, that you're going to take care of yourself. If this is, this is how you learn how to invest and they say, okay, well, Google's expensive now. So let me just give you five extra stocks that were like Google in 1994 (laughs) and you can invest in them now, wait 10 years, boom, quit your job. And that is what I see a lot of. And it's just, it's tough, but you know, um, I also feel that like real recognizes real. So I, I, I just believe that in my heart. Mm. And so when you're real and you're, you're authentic and you show up and you really show that you got people's back over time, because that's how trust is built over time. But a lot of that, that uh, sensationalism that plays on our desires, that kind of overrides that trust factor. You're kind of like, you get that buy-in immediately. If you are uninformed because it's tapping into your emotions, not into what's real and what's true. And so, um, you know, there's, that's always going to be out there, but I also feel like that's why we as financial educators have to give that opportunity to show the way of like, Hey, listen, let's, let's break this down for a second. Let's just pump the brakes and really listen to what's happening here. I absolutely agree with that. Um, I think it was just like a series of you posting recently that I've just been like, I got to talk to her. These posts that you've just been putting out have just been like speaking to me. You know, there was one that you just did a screenshot of. I think it was one of your tweets where you said, um, I never thought I'd be 31 years old and that what I learned in high school would be completely irrelevant. And the most important education that I would get was one where I had to teach it to myself. We've been dealing with money since we could buy candy. And why until the day we die, we'll be doing it, right? Or we'll be until the day we die. But somehow uh, they thought homeroom was more important than teaching us about money. So all of that, I'm just like, all of that, like the work that I've been doing for the past, like five, six years is really thinking about financial education in, within schools. Because one of the things that I realize is like, I could, you know, I could take Miss Be Helpful and turn it into a, a, a whole brand where I'm selling courses and I'm making all this money and I'm, you know, all this doing one-on-one coaching. Like eventually I probably will build that out. I'm not even going to front, right? Eventually when I want my, my true t- uh, freedom with my time. But while I have energy and passion and time and the time, the flexibility, I don't have no kids. I ain't married. I don't ha- own a house. I have this, the, the ability to really tr- uh, be mission driven and focus on mission over profits, you know, uh, um, values over, over profits. So for me, I'm like, okay, right now, while I can afford to do that, let me focus on trying to figure out why, why is it not in schools? What are the challenges that these people claim are too difficult, too difficult a hurdle to jump over to actually get personal finance in schools? And what I've learned, yo, it's just a bunch of BS. It's a bunch of BS. They don't want to put it in school. What they'll say is, oh, there's no space on the schedule. There's not enough money to buy curriculum but there's so much free curriculum online. You know, I work at an organization that puts out free curriculum. We're only one of the many. There's so many that have free curriculum, free lessons, free activities, free tests. Everything you need to teach the class is free. So I'm like, wait, so you mean to tell me that you know there's free stuff and yet you still think money is an obstacle? It's not. And all of the statistics show that when teachers teach this class, 
they themselves improve their own finances because they're learning right along with their students. Yes. So, so what's the excuse? Why are we not doing this? So it's like when I saw you post that, I was like, oh my goodness. Okay, that's it. She has to be on my show. Like, I need to talk to her because these thoughts are like literally the daily thoughts that I have around like the work that I'm doing and like making sure teachers feel good about teaching it. Because most of the time we think like, oh, they should just put it in schools. It, it, we need to learn it. But one of the things that is actually an obstacle, not even going to front, is that a lot of the teachers who would be teaching it, they don't know about personal finance themselves. So if you tell me, if you ask me to teach, you ask me to teach um, organic chemistry, I'm going to be like, excuse me, what? How the hell am I supposed to teach organic chemistry when I never took organic chemistry? I avoided it like the plague. So you... (laughs) So with a lot of these adults that are teachers, they, they got in it to teach math, reading, writing, things that they learned, you know, science, social studies. They didn't sign up to teach personal finance because they, a lot of them didn't learn it. So if we're really going to fix the school system and have it be taught, it has to start with the teachers. We have to teach them first so they know and then they're confident to go teach it. So I think it's like, you know, it's just such a good topic that you brought up because I think it does need to be in schools, but there are some legit concerns, but a lot of the other stuff, it's just BS. The reason, you know, you brought up, like, I can't believe, you know, somehow we we need this, we need to keep making money decisions to the day we die, and yet somehow every generation goes to school and has homeroom, has writing, ELA, math, and not personal finance. Yes, I'm so glad that you brought that up. I know that you have background um, as being a teacher and that is that's actually where my first um, learning of like my value for equity um, and fairness came from because I Mm -hmm. when I found out at a young age maybe like in high school I would say I was like wait a minute where you grow up what neighborhood you go to determines how the quality of your school and in that quality of your school helps to shape your environment, which helps to determine what college you go to and what college you go to helps to determine where you're going to be working, AKA how much money you're going to be taking home every single year for the rest of your life. And that's, that compounds over time, right? How much you start making and how much you make as you progress in your career, that, that, that matters. So the lower you start, the, the harder it is to climb that ladder. And I'm like, wait a minute. It's all determined on the level of education, the quality of education you are of where you live. I'm like, how is that even fair? And, and that's where I learned that, that fairness, um, I guess, value for me was just like, that is such BS. That is so messed up. And so, um, we need to have that personal finance education in schools. And I, I really like, yeah, that fairness really starts in education. It's not even really, yeah. that's the best place to learn it, especially when you, you don't have it at home. So I feel that one hundred percent. And I love that you're mission driven. I, I can absolutely tell that. And, and I'm the same way as well. I, I'm not, um, I will monetize eventually, um, you know, just because like I'm, I'm giving that value. And I, I think that- it And you helps. need to, girl, you need to monetize. You put so much time and effort and energy into the work. I'm honestly, I feel like, like, I feel like I'm, I've been such a fool all these years. I've been pr- creating content and being like, I got to keep it free. I want everything to be free because I used to be real broke. And I, I don't, I just know that like a little girl like me from an immigrant family with no money would never be able to pay even $5, right? I wouldn't, I just, it would be a barrier to entry. And to me now, I just feel like such a fool because the reality is when people hear free, there's like, 
people are get, it's a little sketchy. Like, oh, what do you mean it's free? What's the catch? And so you almost have to charge even a little something so folks know they're getting some value and they got some skin in the game. Like, oh, I paid for this. I better read it. Oh, I paid for this video, video webinar. I better watch it. You know, I paid for this course. I better attend. You know, and so now I'm thinking back on all these years I've been creating content. I'm like, I am such a dummy, but it's okay. You know, you live and you learn. Now I'm like definitely thinking about how to monetize. So I, I would empower you, you know, as a, as a fellow creator, like, girl, start monetizing. Start thinking about monetization early, even before you have such a big following. Start thinking about how you want to monetize because at the end of the day, you're putting time, you're putting effort, you're putting energy. You have a skill set that you are devoting to this work. Why not get paid for it? You know? Yeah. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. I will take that. Yeah. Girl, you got it. You got to take it. You got to make that money. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm so, I'm so sad to wrap it up so soon because I really we could keep talking forever and ever. But I have one more question for you. But before I get to that last question, everybody who listens to the podcast knows I'm going to ask you for your money mantra in a second. But uh, before we get to that, people who really loved your energy, who love your hustle, who want to connect with you, follow you. You have a blog. You're also on Instagram. Tell everybody where to follow all of that and, and contact you or connect with you. Yeah, so you guys can follow me on Instagram. That is where you'll see me every day. I'm mostly on stories. I'm super personal there. You can find me at Brie on a budget. And my name is Cassandra. The Brie is actually Brie cheese. <laughs> <laughs> People confuse that sometimes. And um, say, and you can find my blog at brieonabudget.com. I knew it was brie cheese, which was like hilarious to me because my boy, I don't, I don't love, I don't love a lot of cheese products, but my boyfriend is obsessed. So he, he gets brie all the time and he will buy it in like these giant wheels, like, like a wheel of brie cheese. And I'm like, bro, how much do you spend on this cheese? Like he, he's like, I will, I will drop, I will drop coin. I, he loves brie cheese so much. He will literally just have brie an avocado and some meat. And that is his whole meal. Like, I'm just like, okay, all right. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> it's oh expensive. It, it is expensive. That's why I put the brie on a budget. Cause I'm going to still do what I want to do while I'm on a budget. <laughs> love it. Love it. You still got to do the treat yourself, you know, in your budget. I love it. Um, all right, girl. So uh, let's go ahead and jump into our last question, which is the closer. And this is really thinking about a larger message that you want to leave with people. So what I've been doing is I'll Photoshop your face on a dollar bill with your money mantra over it. And your money mantra is really just like, it's like that one key money message that you want everybody to know about money and money decision-making and, you know, just uh, personal finance in, in the role that it has in their life. What is this one message that you want? Like if you're going to use money, if you're going to transact, before you make a purchase, think about this money mantra. Let this be, you know, your North Star in all of your money, um, money making, you know, decision making around money. What would that money message be? Yeah. So to sum that up, I think for me, it's going to be bank on yourself. Because Ooh. if I had banked on myself earlier, I mean, I was only working corporate for two years, but had I banked on myself, my initiate, my initial gut reaction I would have left a lot sooner. And it's just mm. a belief. It's a belief in yourself. It's a belief in taking care of yourself in all aspects, not just today, but in, when you make money, fi uh, personal finance decisions, bank on yourself, your future self. Think about how your future self is going to benefit from this and, and, and yourself today as well. So that is going to be my, my take home message. I think it, um, you can think about that in every single money decision that you make. It can either help you or hurt you. It's so true. I, I even to this day, I still have 
trouble with that. And I'm a grown ass woman. And I still feel like sometimes I'm like, oh, but like, am I, am I, am I capable? Can I really pull this off? You know, do people really want to pay for something that I put together? There's always this little voice in your head. That's just like such a little hater. And you just want her to shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Like, girl, you lying. Stop lying right now. Yes. You just need that other voice on the opposite side. Like girl, ignore her bank on yourself. All right. Well, thank you so much, Cassandra. It's such a pleasure meeting you, chatting with you. I'm so glad we got to connect finally after like being an Instagram stalker of your content. Um, I'm definitely going to check out the blog and be pushing your stuff. And I'll let you know once this episode is live so you can share it with folks as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. You you have no idea how much just this conversation has been the best thing this week and of today. And I appreciate you so much. Thank you for having me. Love it. Thank you. Have a good rest of your day, love. Thank you. You too as well.